I'll be reading from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 9. Philippians 2, 1 through 9. So if there be any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. You may be seated. Thank you, Gail, for our reading today, and thank you for being with us. It's always a joy, a privilege of mine to be able to be with you, to worship with you, to study the Bible, to sing these beautiful songs. Thank you, Brandon, for leading us in these beautiful songs today and for the prayers, and for all who've been a part of this worship, we're very grateful to you and thankful for your participation. It's always a joy for me. I'll be with you tonight, Lord willing. We'll talk about another important uh, section of God's Word. I want to talk about angels tonight. I've been talking about the book of Isaiah, different chapters out of the book of Isaiah. And part of what we studied last Sunday night was on Isaiah chapter 6. And a big part of that chapter is the angels and their part in Isaiah's uh, call from God. And so I thought I'll talk about angels tonight. Let's study about that together. And I hope that you'll be with me as I believe in angels. And I want to study with you tonight what the Bible has to say about angels. Right now, I'm looking at a passage that's almost too much for me. I think about this passage where it says, having the mind of Christ. Isn't that a lot right there? And I'm almost to think, you know, that's just beyond me. How can I have the mind of Christ To have the mind of Christ is to think the way that Jesus thought, to think about the things Jesus had thought and the attitudes that he had, have the same attitudes, have attitude about life like Jesus. It's almost too much to ask, isn't it? To have the mind of Christ. Such a serious matter, Proverbs 23 and 7 tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So it becomes a very serious matter when we begin to think about having the mind of Christ, to think the way he thought, and to do what he did. If I'm going to be a Christian, though, I've got to look to him as my example for living. If I'm going to be a disciple of his, then I'm going to have to emulate him. 
To be a Christian means to have the mind of Christ. But the only way that I can really understand what that means is to go to the Scripture and find what the Bible actually has to say about having the mind of Christ and what it means. Before I do the actual discussion of Philippians chapter 2, let's look a little bit at the context of the book of Philippians because that will help me in understanding what it means to have the mind of Christ. And then as we go from this place today, we'll be more like Jesus as we apply, as we put together, as we take to heart, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. We'll be more like Jesus than when we came because we'll have more of the mind of Christ. We'll know what it means and we'll begin to think even more like that than when we came. It was about 10 years after Paul had established the congregation of Philippi that he writes the book of Philippians. With your Bible open, you're going to find that the book of Philippians is a book of great joy and thanksgiving. Uh, It really exudes the matter of happiness. There are four letters that Paul wrote while he was a prisoner in Rome. One went to Europe, three went to Asia. This is the one that went to Europe. It is a letter to the church at Philippi. There was a great congregation, though there might be a hint of a problem in this congregation if we look carefully at the text of our passage today. He's writing to tell them, thank you for the gift that you sent by the hands of Epaphroditus. Paul's in prison. We've been studying about that in our Sunday morning Bible class and the great voyage that Paul had to go to Rome and the events that led up to him being a prisoner in Rome and how he's given the opportunity by God to preach the gospel while being a prisoner in Rome. While they're in prison, he's writing these books by inspiration. This great book of Philippians is given to Epaphroditus, and he says, now take this back to the church at Philippi, because in this letter I'm telling them about how grateful and how thankful I am for the gift that they sent me, necessities of life, helping me while I'm a prisoner. And I want to inform them about my situation. I want them to understand that these things have all fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. And then I want to address some important lessons. And I want this book to be read by them. I want them to understand the important lessons that I have in store for them. Chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, he's going to talk about a great exhortation. He says in verses 1 through 9 that they are to conduct themselves according to the gospel of Christ. He started that point back in Philippians 1.27. Read it with me. He says in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He means by there, live the message of Jesus. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I I may hear of you, that you are standing firm. I want you to remember to live the Christian life. Isn't that always an important matter? We emphasize the importance of repentance of sin and our obedient faith by being baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. When we go down into that watery grave, we come up a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Children of God, sins washed away. But there's also an important message Now you live the Christian life. And Paul is emphasizing that. Grow and mature and be more like Christ. 
In the last portion of chapter 1 and verse 27, he has this reference. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There may be a hint here of a problem. And from that particular point, he continues the idea, be of one mind, be unified, be the kind of person, of course, that works toward unity and works toward peace. Now, in order to accomplish that, we're going to have to live a selfless kind of life, be unselfish. Now, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Be unified. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of the same mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than others. Isn't that an amazing thing for him to write about? He's telling them, be of the same mind. Have this kind of humility about you. Have a type of unselfishness about you that considers more others than yourself. It's going to be hard for us to accept that because we're always thinking about number one. That's us. And we're always thinking about what it is like. What do I want? But he says, now you're going to have to take upon yourself this selflessness, this humility, in order to have the same mind and be together and be at peace. If there is any problem at the church at Philippi, this might be it. Some division may be beginning to creep up. And Paul's addressing that particular matter in this passage. And he comes to this verse, which I have to say really has caused me a great deal of thought. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And that's where I got the title for this lesson today, The Mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ in you. And I want to know more about that. I I feel like this is a great challenge for me to think like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to have the attitude that Jesus had, to have the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And so he begins to tell us about Christ. And I have to say it's one of the most amazing passages of all the Bible. Have this mind among yourselves, Philippians 2, 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus. They have this at his present. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Notice how one grammarian put it this way, the eternal present. He was in the form of God. He is still existing. He is with God now. In his pre-incarnate state, he was with God. And equality with God, as far as authority is concerned, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, something to hold on to regardless of the cost. Grasp. He did not count it that way. But voluntarily he gives that up in order to be a human, a servant. But emptied himself. Notice that it was a self-emptying choice he made. 
emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. He chose to become in the form of man. Now, this in no way is saying that uh, God, uh, Jesus, gave up these particular matters so much so that he no longer was God. That's not what he's saying at all, as some men and women choose to think. Uh, He's still fully God, but now he's fully human. And he's taken upon himself this particular matter of being uh, the child of God. And it was a matter, I'm trying to get myself caught up to the points here, as he pleads, his, he points to Christ, and he's telling us of the nature of Christ. And being found in, found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the de- point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 8 in Philippians 2. Humility there is brought out again. He was so humble in this matter that even though with God and equality with God, he makes himself of no reputation, the King James Version says, and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now what I'm trying to understand more about is the mind of Christ and what that means. And already I'm beginning to get some insight into the particular matter. There are two focuses that are given in this passage, and we'll do our best to study them one at a time. The first focus, to have the mind of Christ, we're going to have to have concern for others. We're going to have to be concerned for others. And as you see this particular matter, verse 2 of our passage, that's the kind of mind that Jesus had. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. It's a strong passage, isn't it, about being unified. And let there be peace among us. Unity in the body of Christ and peace. He's saying let there be unity. Be together on these particular things. Have the mind of Christ. Do not allow division to enter in, but have the kind of peace that passes all understanding. This is the kind of thing that Jesus taught, Acts chapter 10 and 36. God was preaching peace by Jesus Christ, Peter said to the Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 17, God came preaching peace so that we could have peace with God. He broke down that middle wall of partition, which you and I have studied before. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, we're to be at peace with one another through our peace with God. The Bible is telling us and emphasizing for us how important the unity and the harmony and the peace is that we should have. And much of the mind of Christ is a mind which focused on other people rather than ourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, verse 3. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Now, I'd like for you to outline that or or underline that, Philippians 2 and verse 3. It's going to be a hard thing for us to do. But we've got to consider others more than we consider ourselves if we're going to have the mind of Christ. One great Bible passage that helps me understand this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'd like to turn to that particular passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and... uh, 
This is the passage that I wanted to consider with you for a few moments. And I don't know of another Bible passage that is more uh, on point than this one with regard to the matter of peace and harmony and unity in the body of Christ and how we should view one another. And if ever there was a congregation that needed this, Church at Corinth needed it. It's a third journey letter. He wrote three on his third missionary journey for 2 Corinthians and Romans. And as he writes this particular passage, here's the verse that really is important one to me. I appeal to you, brothers, by, the, by our... Um, let me get back here. There you go. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. You notice that word he starts off with? As you're reading now in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he starts off with, I appeal to you. King James would have, I beseech you. I'm pleading. I am pleading with you this day. Brothers, it's not just such an optional matter. The first half of this verse is an exhortation. I'm pleading that you make the right choice here. I, I'm pleading that, that you will choose to have unity and peace. Now, I think he uses the word brothers here to sort of soften the blow just a little bit. He's going to teach a very straightforward lesson and point about this is what you need to do. But he interjects that word brothers. By saying that, he's saying, I'm in this with you. i got to do this too. Not only is it important to preach the truth, it's important to live the truth. And this man preaches the truth and lives the truth while he's preaching the truth. Brothers, I'm in it with you. I've got to work on this myself. I think he softens the blow of a very hard point. Speaking to a congregation that has multiple problems, the church at Corinth, he says, now unity is a very important, and I'm appealing to you. I'm appealing to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Skip on down to about verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, you know, I'm in it with you. I need to do this as well. I need to work on this particular matter. And it's not just a matter of you've got to do this or you've got to do that. But it's a matter that I'm pleading with you. Let's work on it together. That we work over this matter that we willingly choose to be united and not allow division to occur. You see, I'm trying to understand the mind of Christ here. And to understand the mind of Christ means my focus is on others. This is by the authority of Christ himself, verse 9. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, based on the authority of Christ, I plead with you. I'm making an appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the second half of this verse talks about what that unity is all about. The second half of that verse, which I'd like to spend just a brief moment on, 
It's talking about the nature of the unity, and by it, he gives us two positives and one negative. First, the positives. That all of you agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. The two positives that he gives us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, is that you agree, that you be united in the same mind, the same judgment. Now, the original words that go back to these matters are interesting to me, and it sort of helps open the door to my understanding. And I learned a long time ago, if I can look at the original words and look at their meaning and where they came from, it'll help me understand more about the content and the perception that he wants me to gain. And the original word behind this, you agree, is a political type of word. And it probably has a lot uh, of resonance with us today because of the elections. And he's saying, let the party agree. That's the original intent of the word, agree. In other words, all of us in our party have got to come together and let's agree on the platform. Let's bring everybody together and let's agree. He uses that particular word, which has its origin in that context and brings it over into the sacred text and tells us in our context that this is what you, you need to agree. Let everybody come together and let's all agree. I beseech you, brothers, to come together. This is the mind of Christ, to come together and agree. Agree on the truth. Agree on the truth of Christ by the authority of Christ. Now he uses another particular word here, same mind, same judgment. Be united. Here the word that uh, is used here is be perfectly joined together. And uh, the ancient fishermen would go out and take their nets and they would take certain tools and they would mend the nets. And there'd be a tear in the net and they would mend the net and put it back together so it would be more effective in their fishing. And so he says here, by utilizing that word, let's mend the nets. Let's have the same judgment. Let's have the same mind. And let's put these things back together the way they were originally. Those are the two positives. The one negative. I appeal to you, brothers, by the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. The mind of Christ. No divisions. Don't want there to be any divisions among you. The idea of division comes from an original words, uh, schemata, Schemata uh, is a particular word that we get our word schism from. It means division. Let there be no place for division among the body. Two positives, one negative. Think about others. When you think about the mind of Christ, you're going to have to have concern for others. And that's his first focus in Philippians chapter 2. In this passage of Philippians chapter 2 that I'm thinking so much about and I'm trying to wrestle with the the phrase, have the mind of Christ, there's a second focus, and the second focus is about Christ himself and God. In order to have the mind of Christ, verse 5, I'm going to have to give careful consideration to who and what Jesus is. And there, in turn, I'll have a better understanding of what it means to think like Christ and to act like Christ and to have the same thoughts that Christ had. Ephesians 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The humility of Christ. 
Christ was so humble in the matter. And people were impressed with the humility of our Lord. It doesn't mean that he was weak. It doesn't mean that he didn't understand who or what he was. It means that he was concerned more about others. And for me to have the mind of Christ, I'm going to have to take upon myself that quality of humility. I cannot be the kind of person who thinks the world revolves around me. I've got to be more mature than that, spiritually speaking, and I've got to realize that God loves all men everywhere and that he's concerned about me and I need to be concerned about others. You know, but by the grace of God go I. That old saying, that could be me. But God has been gracious to me, therefore I have a duty to be concerned about others. But the only way to have that is have a heart of humility about me and to be concerned about the other person. That's exactly the way Jesus was. Be concerned about others. The focus now is on Christ. He says in verse 7, here this particular point's amazing to me, the self-sacrificing life of Christ, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That emptied himself has troubled translators for years, and to fully understand that, I don't know that we can. I don't know that I can find a greater passage in the Bible that talks about the greatness of Christ uh, than this one here, where he was one who was concerned more about others than he was concerned about himself. It's not enough for me just to simply say that. Let me illustrate it. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. I'm thinking about Matthew chapter 9. And once I started thinking about this, these passages came to me, just kept coming and coming through the scriptures. Here he heals a man in Matthew chapter 9 who was unable to speak. And I won't be able to give you the context of all of these matters, but let's just look for a few minutes at what the text says about this. When he saw the crowds, this is referring to Jesus, he had compassion for them. Now, a man who has compassion is a man who's more concerned about others than he is himself because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Turn with me to chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, about verse uh, 14, the matter uh, comes up there about the feeding of the 5,000. What a wonderful miracle that was and a story that came about. But what prompted the miracle of feeding the multitudes? When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. I'm in Matthew 14 and 14. And he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. This is the kind of man that Jesus was. He was considerate of others. And he was compassionate in these particular matters. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. I'm sort of walking through this text of Matthew. And I'm finding over and over again this particular quality in the life of Jesus. This is the mind of Christ. A compassionate Christ. One who's concerned about others. I'm in Matthew 15. I guess I'll start with 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. That'd be on the coast. And behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her. And the disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I, 
was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, Is it not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. He had compassion for her. Now, there are several things that go on in this particular chapter that I really don't have time to talk about. At this particular point in time in his ministry, he's devoting himself to the lost sheep house of Israel, the Jewish people. But she's saying, yes, Lord, but even the little puppy dogs deserve the crumbs that fall from the table. And he healed her, healed the daughter because of her great faith. Matthew chapter 20 Heaven about verse 34. Here Jesus heals two blind men. Verse 34 it says, And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. This goes on and on and on with regard to the self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's concerned about others. I could walk through these gospel accounts and read this over and over. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, about verse 19. This man's possessed with a demon. Verse 19 reads, And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he had mercy on you. This goes on and on. I suppose one of my favorite passages about this self-sacrificing life of Christ and us having the need to have the mind of Christ, that'd be 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. I've quoted this many times. I choose to read it today. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, what a great verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. You know why he's saying that? Paul's trying to motivate the churches to give. And he says, now look at the ultimate giver, Jesus Christ. You know his grace, how he was rich in heaven. But he gave all that up so you could be rich. If I'm going to have the mind of Christ, I'm going to have to focus on others, and I'm going to have to focus on the life of Christ, and I'm going to have to somehow get a hold of this compassion and this tenderness toward others and their need of salvation. There's a story I read back when I had time to read stories like this. I had a Reader's Digest, and I don't have much time to do that anymore. But a young man came back from Second World War. And he's so happy to be back. He called up his family. He'd gotten back home. And uh, his family, mother and father, so happy about this. Now, his mother and father were rather well-to-do. If I can remember all the aspects of the story, they were very um, affluent. 
And you know how a lot of times people are like that. They drink things they shouldn't be drinking, they gamble, and they have all these social friends and that kind of stuff. And uh, the mother said, well, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a party, we're going to invite all our friends. And when you get here, which he lived in Massachusetts somewhere, said, when you get here, we're going to have a great big party and all the friends are going to be here. He said, now, Mom, I want to I wanna tell you something ahead of time. I'd like to bring, bring my friend with me. She said, oh, I'd be happy. I'd be happy with that. Bring your friend along to the get-together. We'll have this big party of all of our socially elite friends. He said, but, Mom, I want to warn you. This friend fought with me out there. He lost an eye. And he lost an arm. And he's lost a leg. And his face is terribly misfigured. She said, now, son, I don't know if you should bring him along because, you know, it might be an embarrassment to all of our friends. I was going to invite all of our social friends to come to the party, but I, I just don't know about bringing him along. And he says, Mom, I'm the friend that lost the eye, that lost the arm, that lost the leg, and my face is terribly misfigured. We think we're compassionate until the time comes for us to be concerned about the other person. And when that time comes, are we really as compassionate as Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us? Are we willing to help that person? Are we willing to really, out of compassion, Tell that person, this is what you need. You need the grace of God in your life. You need God's favor, and you can receive that by repenting of your sins, becoming a child of God. Let's study the Bible together. This is what you really need. Well, I'll help you with bread today. But what you need is the teaching of the bread of life whereby your sins can be forgiven. We think we're compassionate, but are we as self-sacrificing as Jesus was? I'm trying to get the mind of Christ. I'm trying to understand it the way he understood it. I'm trying to be like him, like he was. I'm trying to think the way he thought. I'm trying to have the same kind of attitude about things that he had. And one of the great things that he had was love for others. He loved others. He was so forgiving. So forgiving. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14, if you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. Ephesians 4 and 32, be kind, tender-hearted. Watch it now. Forgiving. Colossians 3 and 13, forsaking one another, forgiving, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If you have a, a quarrel as Christ forgave you, so forgive one another. Colossians 3, 13. He was so forgiving. I'm trying to get the mind of Christ. I'm trying to get a handle on that. In Matthew chapter 18, I love to read this passage 
An apostle comes to Jesus and says, Lord, now how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Can I forgive him seven times? And I'm sure Peter thought that's very, very, being very generous with regard to how many times he ought to forgive somebody. Jesus says, until 70 times seven, you forgive. I saw a cartoon in the uh, New Yorker magazine. It's been some time ago. And this guy dressed up in old clothes like back in ancient times. And his son comes in. He says, son, we've killed a fatted calf for you four times now. How many times are we supposed to forgive? Forgiving. How many times has Jesus forgiven us? Forgiven me? I was going to say forgive me. Forgiven us. How many times has he had to forgive me? Over and over. If I'm going to have the mind of Christ, I've got to be willing to forgive. People repent of their sins, they are forgiven. Because that's what the mind of Christ means. And I'm trying to understand that and be more like that. I read the story one time of, um, I think the story went where her name was Aunt Ruby and his name was Uncle Arnie. Aunt Ruby and Uncle Arnie didn't have any children. And... Uh, they decided they'd adopt one. So they go through the process and they adopt a child. They're very happy over this process. They've adopted a son and they're very happy. It's not long after that that Aunt Ruby realizes now that she's with child and they're going to have their own son. And so they have two sons now. Now these boys are about nine years old and, and I don't know them. I just read the story somewhere and it's supposed to be a true story. And one of the relatives came by to visit, and they said, Now, Ruby, which one of these boys is yours? And she said, Both of them are mine. And uh, the lady said, Well, I know both of them are yours, but which one did you adopt, and which one did you give birth to? Aunt Ruby looked at those boys, and she said, uh, I've forgotten. I've forgotten. And when I read that story a long time ago, it reminded me of what Jesus has done for me. When God thinks about me, because of my obedience to the gospel of Christ and trying my best to live the Christian life, all my wicked past has been forgotten. It's forgotten. He doesn't see it any longer. All that sin's been washed away. Because that's the mind of Christ. Forgiving. Sacrificing to others. Dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And so that sins can be forgotten, forgiven and forgotten. And you can live pure in the sight of God. Not having to be concerned about what you used to do. But now, because you've repented of those sins, Luke 13, 3, you live according to the teaching of Christ and the will and the word of God, and those sins are forgotten, and he looks upon you as being justified in his sight because of the blood of Christ. Thanks be to God for Christ, so that sins can be forgotten, no longer remembered. That's the mind of Christ, forgiving us of our sins. 
thinking more about us than he did himself. Though in equality with God, he empties himself and takes upon the form of a servant and is made in the likeness of man. Why? For me, so that my sins can be forgotten. Did he have to do that? No, he chooses to do that. And thus, you and I have hope for obtaining eternal life. And we live every day with that hope that one day I'm going to be with God and be with the redeemed of all ages, the righteous and the wicked. You know, if I had the time, it might be a good idea to think about what it's going to be like and who I'm going to be with if I'm lost. Do you ever think about who you'll be with if you're lost? The world's most wicked people? And I could mention a few names that you're going to be with. And you might think about the sounds that you're going to hear, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Whereas on the other hand, to be with God and receive forgiveness. Be with angels of glory and all the redeemed of all ages. To be with Christ forever and ever. And one great day, he will come forward and stretch forth that nail-pierced hand and take me by the hand and say, Jim, come on in to the joys of thy Lord. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. I said in the beginning, it's a struggle for me. It'll be a struggle for you and for me. But we can have the mind of Christ by learning more about Christ and being more like him. Won't you do that today and start your journey by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ, by repenting of sin, confessing your faith, being baptized into Christ, added by the Lord to his church, and live the faithful Christian life. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.